0: Hello and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Ashley. And I'm Christine. And today we are here to talk to you about the movie Inside Out and the broccoli pizza from that movie. Okay, so this is yet another great Disney movie. But if you have not seen this movie, we'll give you a synopsis. So this movie is seen from the point of view of the personified emotions of Riley, who is an 11-year-old girl from... Minnesota. But her whole world is upturned when her family makes a seemingly to us sudden move to San Francisco. So we see her emotions try to handle all of the changes that are happening in her life. But when joy and sadness get swept into the far reaches of Riley's mind, the only emotions left running the show are fear, anger, and disgust. And we spend the rest of the movie seeing joy and sadness traveling through her mind, trying to get back to the forefront to be able to help her work through this uh, big change in her life. It's okay. So it sounds like a really weird premise for a movie. Like if if you looked at that, you would be like, how are they going to do this and actually make it not weird, you know, but they really managed it really, really well. Like, really, it doesn't even feel contrived or weird or like they had to force it, you know? Yeah. And interestingly, this movie is like actually really psychologically sound. Um, The things that they choose to show in the movie are, you know, a, a comic Disney interpretation of real psychology and real things that we know about the human brain
1: yeah and uh, before people start coming at us with actually please understand (laughs) because it's a disney movie it is a simplified version of this yes
0: absolutely (laughs) of course disneyfied you know but but accurate still um for example There are these five emotions that I mentioned who are kind of like, they have like a control panel in Riley's mind. And periodically we'll see those same emotions running other people's minds throughout the movie um, and at the very end, animals as well. But those five emotions are joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. And those five emotions along with surprise and contempt are part of a theory that Paul Ekman has put forth, that those are the emotions that balance um, human minds and that are the ones that take center stage. And that currently that's the dominant theory in psychological circles.
1: You kind of threw me with surprise and contempt Well,
0: I know, especially with surprise, because I was like, surprise isn't in, well, I guess it's,
1: I wouldn't say it's an emotion. Yeah, so much as it's like a reaction. Yeah,
0: I I agree. Contempt
1: kind of threw me, though, because I was like, how often am I sitting around just feeling contempt, you know?
0: Well, and what's the difference between disgust and anger and contempt? Yeah. Like, like I feel like those all kind of can blend together, you know? Um, but I guess that that's, that's what Mr. Ekman says and that that's what people are holding with probably you know, right now. probably
1: more than I do, so whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yes, for sure. <laughs> um, also, in this movie, uh, one of the main points that they talk about is that Riley has core memories. These are memories that basically make her who she is, that show the things in her life that are like the biggest drivers, I guess, of her personality. Uh, For her, it's things like hockey. Um, She has a goofball section where she's just like silly, her family, things like that. And she has like a core memory for each of these things that kind of makes it part of who she is. And I guess that that's considered a true theory as well. That as people, we have core memories that make up who we are. And I was trying to think of something that would be like that for me, something that would like identify who I am. And I feel like it's more than just like one core memory. I feel like things that, okay, well, I guess here's one that might, that might be that way. Um, so I really love performance, right? I love theater. I love musicals. Um, and I love even, even just movies. I love watching people put on brilliant performances that like really pull at your heartstrings or like, you can see that they're giving it their all, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, okay. So the core memory that comes back for this is I always think, of driving in the car with mom and she would put on the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack and she had seen the show, but I had not. And so during the overture, she would tell me about how the chandelier would rise from the stage, you know, and the way that she said it and the way that she talked about it just was like, for me, you know, and I remember that she would do that. And I thinking about that now i wonder if that is partially a core memory that i then built on with other memories like she took me to see phantom of the opera when i was young we would talk about musicals i always was drawn to those that kind of music and i would and i just kept building on it until it became a part of who i am you
1: know yeah I know exactly what you're talking about. because She used to do that to me, too. So this is interesting because she used to do the same thing to me. And while it was fun to hear about, I don't think it didn't have that same kind of impact on me. Yeah. But I did think of another memory where Barnes & Noble one time when I was probably like, I don't know, like 12 or 13, um, I found a big book that was an, like the concept art from Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, and I became like obsessed with that book. Like I just loved looking at it and I didn't know that concept, like art books for movies and things were like a thing. And Mm -hmm. so when I found that book, then I started finding all these other books, you know, that were like art from movies and games and things. And I just loved it. And it was like, I credit that with being the thing that like really inspired me to want to be like a concept artist and why I went to art school but um and I think I talked to you about this the other day like recently I've kind of like because it turned out that like that really wasn't what I wanted to do but I still love and I own that book now and I still like look at it sometimes and I just love looking at it and it still affects me in the same way and it does I think it is inspiring to me because it makes me want to like draw and things but I realized that like what I really love is just like looking at that stuff and like it's like being a part of it somehow like like it kind of puts me in the realm of like you know those movies are things and so I it kind of made me realize too that what I really would like to do is like work in archives and stuff and like you know be able to kind of like preserve those original pieces that like helped make the movie but Mm -hmm. but I mean very much just the act of like finding that book and looking at it I think was a big deal for me. Cause every time I went back to Barnes and Noble, I would always go sit and look at it for a while. Yeah. Until, until yeah. I owned it.
0: For sure. So I guess that's true that we do have core memories that make up who we are. Interestingly, this, this movie, I feel like really teaches some important lessons and reflects our current ideas, I guess, as a society about embracing emotions. So we see Riley struggling. Her parents have inadvertently, because they are, they're good parents, but they have unintentionally put some pressure on her to always be happy. Um, they talk about how, oh, you're just our happy girl. And thank you so much for dealing with this in a happy way. And, uh, taking it all in stride and everything and so she feels this pressure to be that for her parents
1: which is so like like what riley feels i feel like is so real because yeah. you do end up pressures like that but i feel like it's also really real on behalf of the parents because they're yeah. trying like really hard and they're being like good parents right they're being like yeah. oh thank you so much for like handling this so well but then it's like you yeah. still unintentionally screwed her up so it's like yeah it yeah, yeah. doesn't matter what you do you can be a good parent and still like totally ruin it
0: yeah well and that's the thing is that you you have to just try your best like you're no matter what you do people are complex uh the you know parents are complex children are complex and everybody is just trying to do the best they can <laughs>
1: Yeah. And everybody's different and like processes things differently too. So yeah, like for that's true. Person, that might've been like a total motivator, you know? Yeah. Like, who mm-hmm. knows?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but in this case, it, it did put some pressure on Riley to do that. And so she felt like she, even though she was sad about the things that were changing and feeling like she was losing friends and that um, hockey was weird and you know, everything is just so different and she's sad about it, but she feels like she can't talk to her parents about it. So this is kind of shown in, in, inside her mind, joy and sadness end up getting flung out. Like I said, into the far reaches of her mind and fear, anger, and disgust are left, but it's played out with Riley as well. She's, she lashes out at her parents. She ends up trying to run away and go back to Minnesota so that she can just be with her friends again and, you know, have better memories and better times. But when sadness comes back into her mind, she's on the bus getting ready to run away, or I guess she is running away. And they allow sadness to take over the controls of her mind, which for the whole movie, they've been like, no, don't do that. Sadness is dumb. And there's no point to this, but they allow her to take over. And this ultimately is what makes her feel better. She cries. She talks to her parents. Her parents tell her how much they miss Minnesota too. Um, and that, You know, it's hard for them and it's hard for Riley and they see that and that they're sorry. And my favorite part of the whole movie is right in that scene when they have their little talk and then they have like a little group hug and you can see Riley's face and they show inside her mind and joy comes over and puts her hand on top of sadnesses on the controls. And then you see Riley through her tears have this tiny little smile and just this sigh of relief. That's like, so good. I, it really is, oh gosh. <laughs> it's really hard not to like
1: cry at
0: it. Too. I'm, I'm tearing up right <laughs> yeah. now just talking about it. It's stupid, but <laughs> but it's it's because throughout their journeying, Joy and sadness start talking because Joy doesn't understand why sadness is there. Like she yeah. doesn't get what the point of her is. And they're talking about the, uh, a memory of everybody lifting riley up on their arms after a, in their arms after a hockey game and celebrating her and joy's like that's like the best memory i love it so much and sadness is like no that's such a sad memory no but Joy, um, sadness
1: says she loves it too yes that's true moment. yeah
0: that's true um but she says it's sad and joy's like maan she's like yeah because They lost the game and it was Riley's fault and she felt so bad. bad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But then because of that, because everybody, her parents and her team saw how sad Riley was, they felt compassion for her and they went to cheer her up and they all picked her up and held her up. And so the memory ended up being sad and happy at the same time, showing that memories are nuanced that they your your thoughts about them can change um the way you see them and the emotions you feel about them can change and also that you can feel more than one emotion at the same time and so through that experience they see that sadness does have a purpose and then we see that play out with riley and her parents when she comes back from trying to run away and talks to them Go ahead. I
1: I think a lot of what it tries to illustrate is, is like, not just that emotions are important, but like, like, you have to process the emotion. Yeah. Because like, the whole like sadness is obviously there, right? But they're just pushing her down the whole time and saying, stay in Mm -hmm. the circle, read these manuals, don't you know? And so it's like, they're just trying to shove her in the corner. But I feel like, like, one of the moments where we really see this and i think where joy maybe kind of starts to realize is when bing bong loses his wagon and he's sad
0: about it is riley's imaginary friend that she's forgotten about and is kind of like just roaming around in the depths of her mind
1: yeah and so he loses this map this wagon that he was going to use to take riley to the moon and he's really sad about it because it's been lost in um in what do they call it it's like the pit where all the memories go that can't be recovered yeah i don't remember what they call it either um anyway but you know and he starts to cry and so sadness comes over and sits next to him and basically she just sits with him and allows him to process and the whole Mm time the whole time joy is like Hey, we got to go. Let's go. Like, it's okay. You know, we're going to see, you know, and like is just trying to cheer him up. But sadness just sits with him and is like, I bet you had a lot of really great memories with Riley, you know, like I bet, you know, the wagon was really important to you and whatever. And it just allowed him to process it for for seriously, like 30 seconds. And then he was okay. And so... It's seriously just like giving the emotions their moment and allowing yourself to feel them is extremely cathartic and can allow you to move on from there. Yes, absolutely. Can we also talk about Bing Bong when he sacrifices himself? Oh my gosh, that's like the worst worst. part of the whole
0: movie. When we saw that movie in theaters, I don't remember how old Kennedy was, but she was little. She was like six or something. And she turned to me with tears in her eyes and said,
1: why did he have to do that (laughs) it's like "Uh." (laughs) it's so sad and then he's like take Riley to the moon for me and you're just like no
0: (laughs) it's so awful (laughs) and awesome at the same time yeah but yes so having being able to experience and allow ourselves to experience sadness I think sometimes is hard we do feel that pressure as a society I think to be happy all the time to show our best selves, especially, and this is part of the reason why social media can be toxic, right? Is because we are expected to put that best foot forward a lot. Um, And also because sadness makes people uncomfortable and they don't know how to deal with it or how to handle it, especially in other people. Um, And so you just like, you're just kind of like, how's everything going today? fine you know yeah. because you're not going to go into anything or it's it's important to allow ourselves to feel that and especially i think to share it with other people because sadness connects deeply with people you know yeah. painful things when you can connect with somebody on that kind of a level i feel like your relationship ends up being stronger in most situations you know
1: yeah so this is in a little bit of a different vein, but I think it's the same thing. Um, there is a woman named Caitlin Doty. Um, she is a mortician. Um, she's also an author, and she has written a few books um, that are all really interesting about like the funeral industry and stuff. And one of them is called "From Here to Eternity," and it's about funerary rites around the world and just how you know people in different cultures process like grief and you know losing it's a very everyone's. interesting book it's extremely interesting it's fascinating in a in and of itself just to read about you know the way people you know do funerals mm-hmm. and things around the world but that's one of the things that she talks about and just how in the us in particular how we are very closed off about death and grief and and that's part of why is because it makes other people uncomfortable because it's all about like my comfort is not important You know, because like I'm worried I'm making you uncomfortable kind of thing. And she talks about how when you have these sort of like communal grieving moments and when you're allowed to share your grief with other people through funerary rites like they do in basically every other country in the world, um, that like you end up coming out of it. Healthier emotionally and mentally, mm-hmm. and that it's like a big deal. And so, if you're interested in that topic or just interested in weird things like funerary rites, then I definitely recommend that book because it's very interesting.
0: It is really interesting, and what you were saying actually goes with uh, something else that I was finding in my research. Is they say that people that okay that happiness is not just about joy. Although I would switch that around. I would say joy is not all about happiness um, yeah. because people who experience emo diversity, which is a word I had never heard before, or, you know, a rich array of both positive and negative emotions have better mental health than people who don't allow themselves those emotions.
1: That's interesting. I mean, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Do you- for sure. So a while ago, Ashley and I were having a conversation about like happiness and like feeling joy in the moment and stuff and talking about like, how do you increase that and whatever. And then shortly after that, I was telling her about how I had this one day that was just like from looking, you know, from the outside was just like a very normal day. Like it was Mm -hmm. like a Saturday, I think. And we just like went grocery shopping and I think we did some yard work and maybe went and did like some fun thing in a park or something but it was just kind of like your average everyday thing but then at the end of the day I was laying in bed and I was just kind of thinking over the day and in that moment I felt a lot of joy and I was just thinking like today was really fun like we had a lot of like fun family moments I think we had like a water balloon fight you know and I was smiling to myself thinking about just like the fun moments we had that day. And so I was thinking, I think sometimes joy is like a collection of emotions or a, a collection of memories and events, you know, that you can then later look back on and like see as joyful, even if you're not necessarily feeling it like in the moment. Mm-hmm. you know.
0: Well, and we also we know that hard things help us to grow, right? And through growth we end up feeling joy and having a better sense of ourselves and things like that. So even, even hard things when they're, I mean, they're hard in the moment, but when we get through them, you know, we see that we are strong and capable and we're able to deal better. Now caveat here, it is important for us to feel temporary sadness. Depression is a different thing. Um, and you know, a real mental illness that needs to be taken care of in ways other than just feeling it. That's it's a little bit, you know, it's that more severe end, and it's, it's not superior. just about
1: emotion, right? Yeah. Like, like, exactly. there's chemical components and like you need medicine and therapy a lot of times. Yes. So, yes. Don't so feel, there is a difference. Don't feel like you have to just work through it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, temporary sadness. Yes good thing to be able to feel, depression, something that definitely needs intervention and help. Okay, so let's talk about the scene in the movie with the broccoli pizza. So they've just gotten to San Francisco. They've had a few setbacks. Riley is trying to be happy about this. She keeps, Joy keeps putting new ideas into her mind that are gonna be good. Um, They get to the house and at first she's like imagining perfect house and then they pull up and it's not anything like they imagined. She walks in the house and she's like okay I'm going to go find my room. So she goes and finds it. She's like all right, I'm going to start setting up all my stuff. I'm going to imagine where everything goes in my room and then their stuff has gotten lost and it's going to take a long time to find it. So she's sleeping like on the floor. She is like okay, well I'm going to play around with my dad. And so she starts like a goofball game and they're all playing and then in the middle of playing her dad gets a phone call and he has to go into work like right then and she it's interesting too because they show the emotions in there and sadness is like oh he doesn't love us anymore that's sad you know and they're all kind of mumbling their own things and joy's like no no, no this is gonna be fine and then she like puts in this memory of a pizza place down the street. So Riley says, I saw a pizza place. We haven't eaten lunch. Should we go do that? Her mom's like, yeah, let's go get pizza. And so they go and they pay for it. And then they're handed these two slices of pizza that are like thick with broccoli and other green stuff in there. And the emotions in her mind, you see disgust is just like, ugh. I'm done here. This is awful. And Anger says, Good job, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, and now you. The (laughs) Hawaiians. Which I disagree with. I like pineapple. I do too. (laughs) It's it's a good scene showing all the things that we were talking about. Like her mind, she keeps trying to make this good, which you know, is not a horrible thing to be trying to do. I feel like she's trying to make the best out of her situation. And at this point it hasn't gotten so far that everything else is being destroyed. You know, she just keeps trying to think of something and it all just keeps coming back and slapping her in the face, which is part of the reason why she ends up the way that she did, because it's that night that her mom, while she's sleeping on a mat on a like board on the floor is like, thank you so much for being my happy girl, you know. So it's kind of the setup, I guess, for the rest of the movie for her feeling that pressure to keep being happy. That being said, I feel like broccoli pizza doesn't sound so bad.
1: It could be okay. I mean, if it's like properly charred.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so this one, this part of the scene too is interesting because we're seeing like the comfort food kind of thrown on its head. So she's trying to make the best of the situation. She's like, hey, pizza, pizza's the same everywhere. I know I like pizza, let's go get pizza. And she's attempting to use the food as a comfort um, in this new strange place when all these things are going wrong and she's she's not sure how she's feeling. Um, She wants to go back to something familiar something comforting and then when it's handed to her it is just everything but what she's hoping for um so it kind of is a driver to to push her into that place where joy and sadness can't be there another thing though is why does this pizza place only serve broccoli pizza
1: right what can doesn't she say that what kind of pizza place only serves one kind of pizza? yeah
0: yeah, it's weird. Uh you would think that at the very least they'd be able to do it with only cheese, right? Even if the only toppings yeah. they had was broccoli? Like I don't know. I feel like if I was the mom, I would have been like that. I would have been like, "Can I just pay you 5 extra bucks to not put that stuff on there?" Like, come on. Okay, so now that we've talked about the scene, let's talk about pizza and the origins of pizza so um nobody actually knows where it re- like the original original pizza originated um well, we just
1: know it wasn't italy right <laughs>
0: yeah right so it's the there there are thoughts that it could be from china from india from egypt from greece like th- that it's all over the map that people are thinking you know it comes from originally although I'm trying to think like what kind of form it would have taken like in China
1: like yeah I don't know but I mean basically every culture has some sort of kind of like flatbread you know (laughs) I just guess I don't I don't ever
0: think of like East Asian foods you know Japanese and Thai and Chinese and stuff having bread I just for some reason, that doesn't equate in my brain, and that might be my well, American
1: well, take on it. Well, but the major grain would be rice, right? I mean, that's like when I talked about the major grain with the Aztecs okay corn.
0: So like a rice cake of some sort, maybe? Possibly. Yeah. Um, the thing, though, that we we see as the main precursor to pizza, pizza does come from Italy, um, specifically from Rome, where they would, they had focaccia, which is sometimes even focaccia dough is used to make pizza, but it looked a little different. It was basically just the bread with oil and maybe something on top, like, you know, olives, I would assume.
1: I'm down with that.
0: Yeah, I know that doesn't that still sound good. I'll eat it. Uh, I wouldn't call it a pizza, though. I wouldn't either. So, interesting too. I did not know this and maybe I should have known this, but the word pizza literally means pie.
1: Oh, that's funny.
0: Yeah. So when we say pizza pie, it's redundant. <laughs> like, and that's, that's why we call it a pizza pie too. That's like,
1: that's. Funny I don't know why I, I didn't know this. I hate when people call them pies because they're not, <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds stupid. It just sounds like you're trying to be like, cool baby. It's a pie.
0: guess what it is that's what the word actually means so that word showed up for the first time in 1000 AD uh that's when we started using that word to describe this kind of food so okay it's been around a long time then if we move forward several centuries to 1889 uh still in Italy this is considered a food for the poor and still looks very much like it did in ancient Rome.
1: Uh, just why, why are all the good foods always like that? It's always like I don't know. a peasant food. Does so that just mean people have trash tastes? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe, or it could be that there has been a little bit of a leveling out of classes and more of a more of a ubiquity in taste, because I think that. There was a little bit more of a difference between how people ate, I guess, um, way back when, when there literally were like the starving poor in the streets and the rich people in the houses and no middle-class at all. I think that now even the richest of the rich will eat pizza, right? And the poorest of the poor, a lot of times will also eat pizza, at least in America. I'm not talking about other countries, you know, um, But I I think that our food sources are just more easily accessible, maybe. I don't know.
1: Well, I think a lot of it just has to do, too, with the fact that there are a lot more poor people than rich people.
0: Yeah, that's true. And hello, Astoria. She's very sad. Um, Okay, but this is an interesting story. So this is the story of where, like, modern pizza as we know it has come from that the origination origination origin of like pizza today so in 1889 it is considered a food for the poor but queen margarita was coming and at if you know pizza you'll you'll see what's going on here um Queen Margarita was coming to the town that Raffaele Esposito, sorry for my horrible Italian accent, lived in. And he was a pizza maker. So he was tasked with making a special pizza for the queen, which is a weird task. I feel like if it was a food that was seen as just like for poor people, like.
1: Is it any weirder than the guy who came up with the gold leaf covered I um, <laughs> fish stick for the queen?
0: I guess not. Um, So he wanted to make it special. And so he decided to do something very experimental at the time and very patriotic. So he brought the colors of the Italian flag into his pizza by using mozzarella cheese, like thick slices of fresh mozzarella, tomatoes, and basil. And he put them all into a pizza and created what we still call the margarita pizza today. And since then, people have gone crazy with putting different toppings on it. And the Italians, Brought pizza to America when they immigrated, and it has taken off from there. There are tons of styles that we'll talk about in a minute. There are tons of crazy toppings, which we'll also talk about in a minute. Uh, And it has just exploded into an extremely popular food in at least Western countries. Okay, so something interesting that I found. So when we think of like Italian pizza, we think of Pizza from Napoli. So, Neapolitan pizza, right? This is like what you see in um, Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, It's what you, it's really what you see most of the time when you're looking at Italian pizza, like in movies and stuff.
1: Pizza purists will tell you that that's like the only good, the only real pizza. All other pizza is just trash. But that's the thing is like, you can love, like, purest napoli pizza or like you know new york pizza and also just like sometimes you need just crappy pizza hut pizza yep exactly
0: exactly um i always think that i i read a book once and it was a memoir of a an american woman who married a french man and her like building a life in france and she talked about her aunt in there who she said was equally at home in a Michelin-starred restaurant as she was having cold pizza and Diet Coke for breakfast. And I was like, I feel like that's me. (laughs) Seriously. I can do both. That being said, there is a true Neapolitan Pizza Association that was founded in 1984. And there are very strict rules to determine whether or not your pizza is real Neapolitan pizza. Number one.
1: Isn't it like, okay.
0: Your pizza has to be cooked in a wood-fired domed oven specifically. Number two, the base must be hand kneaded. You are not allowed to use rolling pins or any sort of machinery to help you flatten it out and knead it. Three, it must not exceed 35 centimeters in width or be more than one third of a centimeter thick in the middle.
1: And I'm like a third of a centimeter, that's like nothing. That just sounds pretentious. That just sounds like you have to hand make it so that you can't be mass producing it. Otherwise, well, it's Neapolitan pizza.
0: <laughs> that's probably part of it, actually. Okay. So, one of the first documented pizzerias uh, in America was G. Lombardi's on Spring Street in Manhattan, which was the first restaurant that was licensed to sell pizza in 1905. Um, this restaurant is still in operation today, not in the same place, but they use the same oven that they had originally to make their pizzas.
1: It just makes me think there's like 30 raised pizzas and they all yeah. <laughs> think would be the original. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
0: we there are like eight main styles of pizza. Um, And it's so interesting to me that they have, that people have come up with so many different kinds of ways to eat this food. So the first is the Neapolitan that we talked about. Okay. But the second style is the Chicago deep dish, which is cooked. It it originated like trying to be like an actual pie. So you cook it in a dish that has a rim and you like put the uh, dough up the sides and the toppings kind of go in the middle. Then you have your New York pizza that is like really large foldable slices. That's what New Yorkers do. They yeah, fold definitely. their pizza
1: and eat it, right? It's not just like a style choice. Like if you don't fold it, you can't eat it because it's just <laughs> thin, it just falls apart. It's, like it yeah,
0: it's droop. thin and it's really large. Yeah. Then you have the Sicilian pizza, which is like a really thick pillowy dough, which would be kind of like the focaccia. Then you have, I had actually never heard of this one. You have Greek pizza, which is popular apparently in the northeastern states. And it has a thick and chewy, almost deep fried crust because it's cooked in oiled pans.
1: Oh my gosh, that sounds so good.
0: Doesn't it sound so good? Now I really want to try one. (laughs) That sounds
1: amazing. Maybe we (laughs) should make that our thing. Then you
0: have the California
1: pizza, which is
0: your fancy schmancy pizza. Think California Pizza Kitchen kind of place, really upscale kind of toppings. They can be kind of different and crazy too, but it it seems more fancy, right? Uh, then you have Detroit pizza, which is pepperoni and then cheese on top of that, and then you spoon the sauce on top. And they were originally oh, it's just baked. Upside down. I know it's basically just upside down, but they were also originally baked in like automotive pans, hmm.
1: that's which is really Detroit pizza.
0: Yeah, that's why it's a Detroit <clears throat> pizza because it's all cars. <laughs> and then I had also never heard of this kind of pizza. You have St. Louis style pizza, which is on an unleavened, crispy crust.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, so it's like a cracker pizza.
1: This is so weird because it's like you have ones that are really well known, like New York and Chicago, and then you kind of like just kind of go into things. It's like, has anyone ever heard of this?
0: Yeah. And it seems to me that the biggest difference between them is the crust. So in the Neapolitan and the New York, they're like super thin Um, Sicilian and the Greek and Chicago, like those are all thicker. Mm -hmm. I guess, but then the Greek one is also kind of, it's cooked a different way. So it's, they said almost deep fried. You've got the crackery kind. Uh, The toppings seem to remain mostly the same, but the crust is very different. There was a place in Colorado up in the mountains and I'm forgetting the name of it, uh, that we stopped at a couple of times when we were driving long distances. And they, they said that it was a Colorado style pizza but basically what that meant is that the outer crust um, that you used to pick up was like extra thick and kind of doughy. You dipped it in honey to mm. finish it off. And it was actually really good. Um, okay. So before we talk about some of the crazy flavors, what's what's a pizza that had some really different kind of toppings that you really liked?
1: I, I don't know. I don't really have any because I'm kind of a I'm a little bit of a purist like when it comes to like i'm i like trying new things and like weird combinations but a lot of times my favorite and the one that i'm going to go back to is just like your regular old boring one this isn't like super out there but grimaldi's does like a white sauce on like mm-hmm. that you can choose and so they have like this garlic based sauce and so i've gotten that before with kalamata olives and pesto and that, Ooh, is a really
0: good pizza. that sounds really good. I love white sauce. Lately, red sauce has been yucky for me on pizza. I don't know why, but that does sound really good. My favorite weird pizza I haven't had in a really long time, but, and I don't even know if it's still on the menu, but it is a California pizza kitchen. And it has like an oil based sauce, just like oil and garlic and stuff. And then it has blue cheese, caramelized pears and like a little salad with lemon dressing on top
1: mm.
0: it's so good, good. Like, like, you know it sounds really weird and I was super like I was like I don't know if this is going to be good sounds but like it's
1: it be so a crustini.
0: good a what crostini oh yeah oh my gosh it's so delicious so if you go sounds to good. California Pizza Kitchen try that okay but Pizza Hut is like the the biggest worldwide chain, and they have some flavors in other countries. I always love seeing what like McDonald's and oh. you know things like that yeah. do. Like I have a friend, I have a friend who is from Switzerland, and she was recently um, back at home visiting family, and she put up a picture on Instagram of the raclette burger at McDonald's. <laughs> it's just like that's so interesting. I love. That they like try to play to the tastes of the people that
1: they're serving you yeah, know they have an example of a pizza hut pizza oh you in do country because we yeah we made it on our food blog so this pizza was from brunei brunei okay I it. but it's a honey garlic chicken pizza and they only hmm. sell it in brunei at pizza hut and it's amazing that and sounds really safe. good I said I don't like homemade pizza, but this pizza, we did make it ourselves, and it was really, really good. Honey garlic chicken pizza. It was amazing.
0: That sounds really good. Okay, so here are some of the flavors that Pizza Hut has had over the years. I'm going to try to like do this in order of least offensive to most offensive. Okay. Okay, so in Germany, they've had a mac and cheese pizza, which I feel like is something that I've seen before here. Like maybe it is Sisi's. Um, they have bulgoji pizza in Japan. Uh, shawarma pizza in the Middle East. Poutine pizza in Canada. Mm. I don't know if I'd like that. Like French fries on pizza. Sounds weird. I don't know. Uh, in China, they have a Peking duck pizza. Uh, in Mexico, they have a Doritos crust pizza, which sounds weird to me, but I do like the Doritos tacos at Taco Bell. I was say, I really like, yeah. So I guess, you know, there's that. And then in Australia, they have a Marmite stuffed crust oh, nice. pizza, which sounds it disgusting.
1: it cheese in it and Marmite or is it yes. just like a thick layer <laughs> of Marmite?
0: No, like, it's cheese and Marmite.
1: <laughs> that might not be
0: as bad, but whoof. maybe it's a little better, but it still sounds gross. In Finland, they had pizza with a hot dog crust. So what? it was like little pigs in a blanket that they like that used awesome. to make a <laughs> hot <cross. laughs> okay, okay. The picture looks really weird. Um, in China, they also had a durian pizza. Um, so if you guys don't know what durian is, it's a fruit that like smells really horrible. It's kind of, is-
1: It's kind of the size and shape of like a jackfruit i know jackfruit are kind of on people's radar right now but yeah they supposedly smell like a dead body
0: yeah they smells pretty bad but i gotta say that hong kong takes the cake uh they had a thousand island seafood pizza and a flying fish roe cream cheese crust pizza so it was salmon flavored cream cheese filling the crust and then like caviar on the pizza but, like, cheap caviar, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I don't want to eat caviar anyway, but this is no, pizza if I, if caviar. If it's foreign
1: fish roe, then that's cheap because it's, I mean, I don't know if it's, like, the cheapest, like, caviar you can get, but but typically, like, the expensive caviar is beluga caviar.
0: Yeah, there's that. I don't want to eat pizza in Hong Kong, for sure. Also, yeah,
1: that does not sound good. But I was going to say, also, if you're under the impression that beluga caviar comes from beluga whales, it's it <laughs> Was the say, brand name. Well, no, it's it is a it's a fish, it's a type. Okay. Of fish. Um. But and I don't remember what exact what family exactly it's in. I was just I just say that because it was just something I had never really thought about before, and like you know belugas are whales, right? But it's like that's yeah. the only time you ever hear beluga. Yeah. And so it just it had never occurred to me like until I was an adult, and then one day I was like, wait a minute. Like beluga caviar, <laughs> there's no way beluga caviar can come from whales because whales are mammals. So Yeah. <laughs> and then when I was in culinary school, they talked about like the kind of fish like that a beluga is. So
0: Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Learn something new every day. Okay, we are ready to try our San Francisco broccoli pizza. Actually, we already tried it. <laughs> and um <laughs> I actually felt like it was pretty good I wasn't thinking that it was going to be terrible I think it just it needed something else yeah like having only broccoli on it was a little bit meh you know yeah. but I think if it had had something else to spice it up a little bit it actually would have been really good
1: maybe if it had like pepperoni or bacon or yeah that's what I was <clears throat> thinking or something
0: a little bit spicy yeah that would have been good maybe to add to a buffalo chicken pizza to give it some nutritional value <laughs> or something
1: i don't know yeah i was i don't know i was looking at the difference between our pizzas and i was thinking mine i felt like the broccoli more and more sitting on top and were more like charred yours looked like they were more like baked into the cheese and so yeah. I was wondering how did you do your cheese and your layering
0: um so i did a layer of mozzarella on the bottom, and then I put the broccoli, which had already been cooked, Mm. on top, and then I sprinkled it with Parmesan.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, yours looked more, like, set into the cheese. Our cheese, we've been having issues with, like, moisture content, and it, like, getting really runny, and, like, Oh. And so, lately, we've been microwaving it um, to, like, release some of the moisture, and then we, like, stretch it out, like, because we just get one big block of mozzarella, and so mm-hmm. then we like stretch it out into like a sheet of mozzarella and lay it on the pizza. <laughs> and that seems to solve the problem. Um, but yeah, as a result of our broccoli. I mean, it was still like s- melted into the cheese, but it was it was noticeably more like set on top. Sitting on top, yeah. It charred a little more because of that. I think we also cook at a higher temperature. So
0: Uh yeah, I cooked mine at four fifty. Yeah, um five
1: fifty. But was the char good? Like yeah. did you enjoy your pizza? Yeah, I mean I All of it. It's so it's not something that I feel like I would choose to make. Mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy it enough that I would like go out of my way to eat it again. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. Like it was it was better than I thought it would be. But I agree that it needed something else because honestly, it didn't really feel like a cohesive flavor profile. It didn't feel like broccoli pizza. It felt like I was eating pizza and broccoli at the same time.
0: Yeah, I agree. It it was like the flavors were kind of separate, even though they weren't. I don't know what the deal was. Weirdly enough, though, like or maybe broccoli just isn't a great flavor for pizza. It was a little bland, but one of my favorite pizzas to make at home is from Half-Baked Harvest. And um, it's called the Meanest Greenest Pizza, and it has like kale on it and sun dried tomatoes. And it's, it's just got a bunch of like vegetable greeny stuff, but it works on the pizza. Like I've served it mm. when people have come over a couple of times and it's always their favorite. They're like, this is so good because it's really different, but it does have more things to kind of like tie in all of the flavors. Yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't, so it tastes like pizza that just has some kale on it you know like well it's it's not
1: are really flavorful and if you've got other really flavorful toppings on there i can see that i think that's part of the problem is that broccoli is not particularly flavorful you know yeah
0: especially when it's been cooked twice Uh, (laughs) in my case because i didn't put raw broccoli on my pizza to go in the oven um so it just kind of ended up being a little bit mushy now i know right now we're kind of like crapping on it but it actually wasn't bad <laughs>
1: it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't gross I just think I it, ate... it could have been improved
0: yeah I ate a few slices I just yeah I think it needs a little a little bit extra to make it something where we'd be like looking forward to eating it
1: yeah I think that's the other reason why my broccoli chard was because I just put it on raw yeah I'm mm. sure that
0: that's why mine mine was Full disclosure: frozen first, and mm. then cooked for. I roasted it for um, fondue that we'd had the night before, and then we had leftover broccoli that I used for my pizza. So it was like already cooked in in the fridge for, mm. you know, overnight.
1: I need to make fondue more often.
0: Oh man, we have fondue like once every three months. It's on my regular rotation. Well, Guys, I don't recipe, have like. I don't have a good fondue recipe. Oh, it's good. It's, it's good. It's not super traditional, but it comes out really creamy and it's really delicious. I was going to say that I don't have like a week rotation or a month rotation. My rotation takes us like three and a half months to get through. So <laughs> that's how many meals we like and eat on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, we have fun to like
1: once every three months. So I have a rotation. I just make whatever sounds good. <laughs> that Saturday, I just it's sit down so and go, what sounds good this week? And just write everything down and then go buy stuff.
0: See, I did that for a long time, but a couple of years ago, I changed my system uh, because things that we really liked kept getting forgotten. And I'd be looking through my recipes and be like, oh yeah, we really like this. Why don't I make this more
1: often? It just happens sometimes.
0: Um, or I'd make something really good and then I'd totally forget it and be like oh yeah we had this thing that one time but i have no idea where i found it you know Mm -hmm. kind of a thing so i changed my meal planning system and now it's like super streamlined and it's really good and we get i still make new things every week but we also get the stuff that we really like all the
1: time so i do a thing though where every once in a while it ends up being like international week suddenly i'm like all this stuff sounds really good and i end up making like curry and egg rolls and like <laughs> I just yeah. like make all of these like international foods and then at the end of the week i'm like that scratched the itch let's go back to like american tacos and you know, yeah like,
0: yeah whatever
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i like having my meal plan set up that way too because i i mean i redo it <clears throat> periodically just like you know fine-tuning it taking out the stuff that hasn't been exciting adding in the stuff that we tried during that time that we want to keep Mm -hmm. on there, you know, stuff like that. And so I'll rearrange it so that we don't have too many of the same kinds of things in a week. Like I won't allow more than one curry dish in a week. And we have to have at least two meatless meals every week and stuff like that so that it gets all mixed up. And then we don't have similar flavor profiles a lot next to each other, which is, which I kind of like, and it's nice. Yeah. And that is it for inside out and the broccoli pizza. Join us next week when we are going to be talking about The Bell Jar and the Baked Alaska from that book. Christine's probably excited to talk about this book, and I am not so much because I really hated it. (laughs) Well, I think it's going to be a more in-depth episode. I guess that's true. It'll be a little bit more maybe philosophical in
1: nature. (laughs) Well, I end up with a lot. I think I end up with a lot of like... You know, not, no substance episodes like Gravity Falls. And so it's nice sometimes to have one where I can actually like talk about things that actually matter. <laughs> That's true.
0: So, you know, come for that discussion. It'll be fun. And you can find the recipe, I guess, non recipe that we used not for the broccoli pizza on our Instagram at the Bitten Word Podcast and on Twitter at the Bitten Pod. We'll also post pictures in those places. Uh, Christine and I had different enough looking pizzas that I'll post both so that you can see differences in the method, I guess. And tell us which one looks better to you. Tell us if you've ever had broccoli pizza. Did they serve broccoli pizza in San Francisco? I don't know, because I've never been there. You can also, of course, email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. And please, if you are enjoying the show... Take a minute to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot, lets other people find us more easily. And we will see you next week to talk about the bell jar. And until
1: then, happy watching and come fly with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy.